What's up, y'all? Thank you for joining me. This week I wanted to share a conversation I had with Francis Craig. It was such a pleasure. We dive into urban farming, um, seed culture, and ancient grain heritage, and so much more about her life story and her journey, and so many insights. So I hope you enjoy this. Greetings, friend. Welcome to Summit to Soul Mountain. Thank you for joining me, Fran. And welcome, Francis Craig. Hello. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I've been looking forward to this for a while now. So happy that you're here. You're a very great person, very kind, very playful. You've always seemed, you know, seemed wise and, you know, intuitive, all that I've known you. I've been friends for a little while now through your little brother, John, it's the homie. One thing I'd like to share is just like, you've had a huge impact in my life, just from kind of the very beginning, you were one of the first people to open me up to electric forest. And I remember like sitting at your mom's house you got your hammock in the mail, I think, and you're stoked to go set it up in the backyard. And you told us like what you were doing. And I was just like, knew I had to go check it out. <laughs> and then that kind of pointed me in a direction of, you know, I think ultimately where I'm headed towards today, but so I appreciate that, you know, but now you're home in Michigan and you just came from Arizona after graduating from Arizona state with bachelor's in urban planning, sustainable food systems, and you minored with sustainability. So that's pretty cool. Very important. I think for what the world's in right now. Mm -hmm. So just tell me a little bit about where you're at, who you are, your plans, your mission, your love. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that little origin story with me. I had no idea how I inspired you to kind of open up to forest and kind of like that portal into what, what like self-exploration and self-experimentation kind of means and self-expression what you know those things that I think electric forest and music festivals and those really intense creative scenes can open to us so thanks for sharing that because I didn't really know that I was a part of that journey for you yeah, yeah, um, sure. so where I'm at now yeah so I just returned back to Michigan after living out of state for five years I originally left Michigan thinking that I would never, ever return because I didn't think that there was anything there for me. And all of the things that I said that I was never going to do, I did. <laughs> like, I thought that I was going to go live in Oregon and go to school there and Oregon is going to be my thing. And I said that I was never going to live in an apartment and I was never going to go back to school and I would never have a dog and all of these funny things. And here I am sitting in Michigan. I'm living in an apartment. <laughs> I have a dog. I have an academic degree. So it's really just amazing how the universe has challenged me with opportunities to accept where the winds are blowing me and trust that that's exactly where I need to be, despite what I think <laughs> I am, despite what I think I might need to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, so after, shortly after I moved to Oregon, I moved to Arizona and lived with my sister, Katie, in Tempe. 
And about a year after living there, I started to go to Arizona State University because I decided that I didn't want to be a barista for the rest of my life. As much as I love to make coffee and make a bunch of money doing it, it just wasn't satisfying my soul. And I knew that I wasn't in a position where I could offer the world my greatest self serving coffee. You know, I was enjoying it and I was able to pay the bills, but it wasn't making me happy. I wasn't fulfilling my life's purpose. And I didn't know what it was at that time, but I knew that that feeling inside of me was longing for something more meaningful. So I said, all right, well, I think I should probably go back to school. And if I'm going to go back to school, then I need to go and do something that's really going to stimulate me. And then I can, that I feel like is really useful. And I also don't want to spend a whole lot of time in school because it's expensive and it'll be like my second time at it. <laughs> so I decided to study urban planning because I didn't need to take any more math and I didn't need to take any more foreign language. And I thought, well, urban planning, that's great. Urban planners literally design the space that, that we live in. You know, they make zoning ordinances and they interact with the community when they're doing land development. And, you know, with a population that's rapidly growing, people are going to be moving to urban spaces. So that'll be like really useful. And I have a lot of like really cool ideas, like doing parks and urban farming and all this stuff. Like what a great way to, to do that. And so that was my choice. And my focus was on sustainability or uh, sustainable urban planning. And I took an elective course, a sustainable food system elective course. And joined the gardens club at ASU and then just like this whole world of sustainability and food systems was opened up to me and I realized how important it is to localize our food systems and that what is really going to change the world is the foundation of how we feed ourselves and how we feed one another both with food and both with, you know, other things that we need, you know, like we need relationships and we need to have fun and we need to build right. shelters and yeah, we need to be able to travel and all of these things. So how we do, how we feed ourselves and how we nourish one another is really where I want to position myself. So inside and outside of school, I was educating myself and what that looks like because academia, you know, they feed you what they want to feed you. So it was a lot of great academic information but I was doing a lot of kind of alternative exploration on my own. So I joined the community garden and I started to work for this company called the Urban Farm. And they are centered in Phoenix, Arizona, and they sell fruit trees and they're like this huge online gardening resource program. So I, on Christmas morning or on Christmas Eve morning, I called the founder of the urban farm. And I didn't know what day it was. And he reminded me, <laughs> you know, he's like, do you know what day it is? And blah, blah, blah. And so I called him and I said, Hey, I need an internship for school. And I really, really like what you do. And I just really love to be involved in it somehow. And so he invited me to sell fruit trees on his fruit tree program lot that upcoming season. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. And through that, I met my, my mentor, Joan Barron, who's this 72 year old ceramic artist slash food advocate, food justice advocate, who's like way cooler than anybody that I, that I know. And she's so old and she's so progressive and so cool. And she became my mentor. And so this is like January of 
2019. So I started to work for her for a year and we were doing like edible landscaping at her property, taking care of chickens, getting more involved with the community garden. And then COVID hit a year later, 20, March, 2020. And Joan Barron is good, really, really good friends with Maya Daly, who is one of the most incredible small scale woman farmers uh, in Phoenix, the hardest working woman that I know. And so Joan bugged my brain and said, hey, it's the world of COVID. You should probably stop working in the coffee shop. You know, get out of the public scene. It's not healthy. People are strange. And at the same time, she was bugging Maya's ear saying, hey, you're busting your ass. You really need help on this farm. I know the perfect person for you. So it just happened that Maya and I started to work together. She employed me and I worked my ass off for her feeding, tending her four acres, her beautiful four acres of farmland and meeting the needs of the community because people were afraid of what was happening. The shelves were bare, food supplies were cut short, they were disrupted. And so me, Maya, and our another girlfriend, Gloria, started farming and meeting the needs of the community, like I said. And through working with Maya, she just really grounded everything that I was learning in school with like a really important real world application. Like she was literally feeding the community, like meeting the needs of the community in the most desperate time that people had had experienced in a really, really long time. And so she was just a really, really intense woman in my life and a really great mentor and a really great educator for me. And so I did that for a year Sorry, I'm rambling on right now, but I want you to, I guess, get the full story. I'm loving it. (laughs) And so, so yeah, a year went by that I worked for Maya and, and then I left Arizona. I started to work for the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance as their AmeriCorps VISTA member. The winds blew me to Minkus, Colorado to live at Leanne Hills. She's the executive director of the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. And I lived in a camper on her farm for three months and helped her to build the capacity of the Heritage Grain Trial Program. So the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance is a nonprofit organization based in the American Southwest. And they do seed saving education and seed and grain biodiversity conservation. So they have over 250 varieties of ancient and heritage grains. So when I say grains, think like wheat, quinoa, barley, buckwheat, rye, our staple food crops, corn. Mm -hmm. And so I helped her inventory all of those and protect them in the seed shack. And I'm still working for them, although remotely. And now I'm also working for Ackett's Pie Company, which is a pie company in Armada, Michigan. But I'm not really working for the pie company. I'm mostly working for Wendy and Dave, the husband and wife couple. And they have like combined over 150 acres of property in Armada that they hired me to manage and to develop sustainably. So I've been cleaning up their farm and we've been working together to develop a plan to start growing ancient and heritage grains on their property. Mm and to increase our seed stock so that we can start partnering with other farmers in the area and get them to grow ancient and heritage grains, which are more more nutritious 
and grow stronger roots instead of growing their classic corn and soy rotations that are heavily, heavily fertilized with chemicals year after year. So yeah, I guess I'll kind of digress there because I think I went, I went down a long trail there and probably missed some things, but yeah, that's, that's where I'm at now. So it's, I guess the, I guess the story actually is true to, true to how I just explained it because everything happened so fast um, that I feel like I'm just now beginning to realize the caliber of like what I've been involved in Mm. which is like every day I wake up and I'm like this is really intense (laughs) but I'm so grateful because I feel in my heart that that I just want to you know it's not about me I just want people to wake up to how beautiful the world is and how beautiful our relationships can be if we just start to you know recognize how the earth feeds us and how we can just be like catalysts of that beautiful mm-hmm. healthy abundance of, mm-hmm. of energy mother earth provides oh my goodness does she ever <laughs> yeah I, I that was a beautiful story you know it's <laughs> it it is time flies by you know but you packed a lot in there and you did a lot and so that's you know it all leads leads you somewhere which is cool absolutely um, that's awesome and so what's what is like you guys are the stocking of the ancient grains why is what's you said it's like they grow stronger roots and they're just better nutrients and stuff like what is why is it so special and why is it so important to you know hold space for those and and make sure that those live on yeah so that's there's a few parts to it and i'll first start with the culture of seeds i think because that that is that is where it starts from time immemorial from as long as we can remember humans engaged with the natural landscape in a way that was sustainable for the humans and other life forms and other plant beings we were hunter gatherers we were nomadic we grazed like how animals graze now and over time we as our intelligence grew as human beings we would domesticate plants to, we would save the seed of plants that gave us what we wanted, whether it was flavor or it grew a large plant or it was easily transported or uh, moved from place to place, like different climates. It was very uh, vigorous or very resilient. And seed keeping was passed down like hand to hand, mother to daughter, father to son, community member to community member. And it was just what people did because it was sustenance. And it was very special. And and the passing along of seeds is a story. Every seed comes with a story. And so within all of the seeds that we have that sustain our food system now is a story. And for the past 100 years, it's been measured that we've lost over 70% of the diversity of our food crops. Because of many, many reasons, the consolidation of food producers, the monoculture, multinational agriculture, the industrialized agriculture. And so what that says to me is we've also lost 70% of the stories. And we've lost 70% of the knowledge that comes along with it, how to care for seeds, how to care for the earth, how to care for the land, how to care for one another. 
And so it's important that we continue to grow out these seeds and share the stories and allow the seeds to grow with us in a rapidly changing world. So specifically for the ancient and heritage grains, those are our staple food crops. I mean, we eat bread, we eat pasta, we eat cereal, we eat oatmeal. So much of our calories come from grains, corn, soy. And so when we're losing the diversity of these seeds, we're also losing like the nutrition. So they're more nutritious. And it's important. That, so there's also like seed banks. There's one, I believe, in Russia. And it's a huge seed bank that's like underground and seeds are stored there for like, if the if some crazy war happens and there's 500 people left on earth, or if we destroy the earth and we destroy our, our current food crops, we can go into the seed bank and these seeds will be there for us to plant and grow. But that logic doesn't make any sense because the seeds aren't, aren't familiar with our current climate that we know is rapidly changing and is becoming very unpredictable. So to have these seeds in like a living seed bank and a living exchange, for example, the, the grains that I'm growing at my mom's house right now, they were grown by Greg Shane, who lives in Silver City, New Mexico. So they know drought and they know New Mexico's soil mm-hmm. and they know an arid region. So now that I'm growing them here in Michigan, they're going to become more familiar with our climate here, the temperate climate, humid summers, shorter growing season, all those things. So the seed gets more and more intelligent the more and more that you grow it out. It becomes more and more familiar with different environments. Wow. So it's not only important to preserve like the culture of seed keeping and to continue to honor the people, the hands and the hearts that have held and stewarded seeds for as long as we can remember and even before, but it's also really important just to sustain life on earth, to be able to have a resilient food system, Mm -hmm. to know that we can continue to feed ourselves and our kids and our kids, kids, kids for generations and generations. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. I mean, I I hear that because I think, you know, all plants are they're all living beings. They're all life, you know, and mm-hmm. so that they, you know, the stories that they've carried in the the climates and where they come from and how they can adapt to an, a changing one is that's very important. Yeah. And um, it's just like an endlessly interesting to me. It's just endlessly interesting to me. The different ways that all of the different stories that kind of come along with, with seeds the family stories, the friend stories, the good stories, the bad stories. And it makes much just makes the the world like a lot of our seeds come from like the Fertile Crescent. So that's in like the Middle East, a lot of our, our grains. So it's like, wow, like that seems like really far away. But when you hear the stories, you realize like no matter where people are on the world, like we're all just people on the world, like we're all so much the same. Mm-hmm. So it's a really great reminder of that as well. But like, we all need yeah. to eat and like, all we all need connected. the same basic needs met. Yeah. 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 And food in and in other ways. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I, let's jump in a little bit about, I guess, urban agriculture and urban farming. Cause since I moved out of Michigan, when I moved us first to Seattle, well, Arizona is super cool because there's just like lemon trees and lime trees and all these fruits and like this like edible stuff just like in the streets and you know it's like 
this makes so much sense. Like this is food that I would eat. Why would it not be growing where I'm living? Michigan, there's not too much of that. And then in Seattle, when I got there, there's not really that, but there's definitely a lot more devotion to, you know, having homegrown little farms and stuff like that. And you'd walk around the city and there's little like community lots that are, you know, meant for, you can kind of rotate and, you know, pitch into your grow and help the the whole thing. And, you know, you can pick from what other people grow, I think, and, you know, people can pick from yours. So it's like this community thing. Um, and it's similar out here in Denver, there's, you know, some stuff like that, but it's, it's kind of just a weird idea to me because I, and I think of urban, I just think of big cities and cars and a lot of people. And I'm like, how do you, how do you incorporate that into a city? Well, it's interesting to think about a city because when we think about a city, we think about like technological advancements, right? We think about skyscrapers and cars. Like you said, it's like Mm -hmm. the hustle and bustle and that's where, you know, the financial districts are. And that's like where everything happens. People live in closer densities. There's usually more walkability, more bikeability. Um, whereas like in the suburbs, if I'm needing to go to the grocery store, I'm going to need to get in my car. But in an urban center, you can probably walk or take the public transit or get on your bike. And so seeing cities as this like the place where all of our technological advancements and conveniences are on display, it reminds me of like how people lived like a very long time ago when they could just walk out of their front door and go get what they needed. You know, whether it was from their neighbor or from, you know, the local crafter Mm -hmm. or, you know, the, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like the local apothecary, Mm -hmm. you know, like the old, the old pharmacy. And so in some ways, I think that there's that sentiment, that old world sentiment being reborn in urban centers, Mm -hmm. because we, as humans, we long for that connection with one another. And so it's like trending to go live in urban centers where you can ride your bike and where you can walk and where you go and get your, um, your food from the farmer's market and Mm -hmm. all these things. And so it's really amazing how creative people are becoming with how they're using their urban space. You know, they're doing vertical gardens and taking advantage of like the little median between like the parallel parking spot and like the Mm -hmm. front yard or like the front of the apartment building. And I just think that that's so incredible because you can grow food pretty much anywhere, you know, whether it's an apple tree, like if you can grow a geranium or something for decoration, Mm -hmm. you can be growing something that people can eat. But that's just, we've been kind of conditioned out of thinking that way that we think our food, our food source is the grocery store. It's not that the food source is like the soil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So last summer, I spent two months living in Detroit and working at a urban farm there. And Detroit is like one of the model cities for urban farming because there is so much vacant space. And Detroit is a really amazing model for urban agriculture because it's born out of the city's necessity for healthy food. Detroit is a food desert. I mean, I was there, I was only there for two months, but when I needed to go to the grocery store, 
I needed to get in my car and I needed to drive. I mean, I could have walked to the liquor store. I could have ridden my bike to the, you know, the, the pizza shop or whatever, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a space for me to go and get everything that I needed. If I wanted to wait until Saturday, I could go to the Eastern market. Or if I wanted to wait till Tuesday night, I could go to this urban farm or whatever. So the people that are in Detroit have taken it upon themselves to just feed, feed one another to take advantage of the resources that they have, which is a lot of land mm-hmm. and a lot of hungry people that are out of work and getting together and growing food and feeding one another. So I think that that's just an incredible, incredible model, although unfortunate that it was born out of their absence of healthy food. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that anybody should ever be without healthy food in one of the richest, the richest country in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Urban farming can be challenging, though, because of the high real estate value of property. And oftentimes, people that are in governance don't see the value of agriculture. They want their cities here and their farms here and their business district here. And they want everything to be fragmented Mm -hmm. because when everything's fragmented, it's easy to see and it's easy to control. Whereas when we operate in these complex autonomous systems, then governance is isn't really necessary because as humans we can Mm self-regulate and we can self-organize yeah but i think what what detroit is doing specifically and like what other cities like denver and seattle are doing with urban agriculture it's really just happening everywhere those are just the areas that i'm most familiar with it just makes so much sense to me to you know have that food source you know by you and to you know it creates that community of you know contribution to you know you grow something and you know if you're out of food here then you can go and you know the people and you know that you're going to be able to give back at a different time or something and yeah I just think about like in the city you see trees at the tops of you know a bunch of trees and plants up at like the tops of these skyscrapers and stuff and the sun is up there too yeah you can definitely you know put some put some soil up there and you know, grow and have, you know, a spot for buildings and apartments and, and stuff like that to, to grow. Cause that's, I mean, that would be game changer. Nobody. Yeah. You shouldn't. Yeah. The idea of having to get in your car and, you know, drive a few miles to a lot of times not get the best of food too. still is too much. And that automobile centric lifestyle just doesn't encourage like healthy living yeah you know like we are agrarian people like we are people of the earth like we have never not engaged directly with the earth Mm -hmm. to sustain life to sustain our life up until like pretty much now when we get everything that we need from an environment that we created ourselves like, and we wonder, like, we wonder why there's so much sickness and why there's so much mental illness. And it's like, because we're literally separating ourselves from mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. the earth being that gives us everything that we need. All the life force. We just push it aside and forget about it. Or we just not don't, for we, long. We just not look at just as, as humans, you know, yeah, we went through a phase of just like, total disconnection of human to nature you know it was so it was so cool and everything with the technology boom was like you know 
it was, I think, you know, I mean, I kind of grew up in it, so I don't really know totally, but just, you know, if you went through that transition, it's like, you don't see it in that moment. You know, the past 20 years is something where it's like, you were just in it. Everyone was in, in it involved and just moving with it. And now it's like with the last year of the, the whole slowdown of the world was like big eye opener to that. So yeah, and I think the COVID crisis woke people up to the fragility of the systems that we've become extremely dependent on. Mm-hmm. Healthcare, food, mm-hmm. the two most important things, mm-hmm. really. And now, like we were just talking before you started to record, like droughts, the drought season, like lands in Colorado, lands in mm-hmm. California, where a lot of the U.S. food supply comes from. Um, their water is being decreased. Their water access is being decreased, which is pretty scary. But that's also where, you know, we as individuals, whether we're we're in an urban setting or not, we can take control of the way that we feed ourselves and the way that we feed one another Mm -hmm. and inspire others to to do the same. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So when you see somebody, especially when you see somebody else doing healthy things, you know, it's like natural to just be like in awe of that. Like, I want that. I see your glow, you know, and You're food like, is going to get whatever they got. <laughs> yeah. You know, food is, food is the outlet there. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, I guess, dive a little deeper, you know, just into what farming's really done for you as a person and your, your journey and stuff. I mean, I think I could probably just throw off a bunch of metaphors and just the way that I've related to working with the earth and being in nature. And I haven't done too much farming and stuff, but the little bit of stuff I have, it's just such healing work to be in the dirt. And so what's one of the the big takeaways that you've been, you know, I mean, you've kind of talked about, you know, opening up and being there for, for the community and healing the earth, but on your own personal journey to where you want to go. Yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot because like I said earlier, you know, I feel like I'm just now kind of waking up and realizing like where I'm at <laughs> with like my work and and just now kind of starting to digest the the intense experiences that I've just had. And so I've been trying to figure out like what does it all mean, you know? <laughs> and I'm not sure that I'll ever know, but I think what I'm trying to say is that what keeps bringing me back and what keeps farming so exciting to me is that you're interacting with life itself Mm -hmm. and you're seeing the full life cycle of something. So like when you plant a seed, you know, it's just this tiny, tiny thing. You, You give it water, you let the sun shine on it, you know, you sing to it, you pray to it, you do, you send energy to it. And then this huge thing grows out of the ground, out of this one tiny seed. And this huge thing that grows out of the ground can not only feed you, it can feed your neighbor, it can feed whoever. And then not only can you eat it, but if you save some of the fruit that it produces and let it dry out, it will offer you an abundance of seeds, an infinite amount of seed. If you have one seed, you have infinite seed because that one seed can turn into a hundred seeds turned into a hundred plants, a million things. Mm-hmm. And so seeing something go through its life cycle 
it reminds me that we're all kind of going around the circle and that we're all really just the same thing in different forms. And so to feel that intimacy and to be so intricately related, intricately connected to another life form like that is just really grounding. Mm. It makes me feel like no matter what, everything's okay. Like everything is okay just because everything is like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that's, if that's too simple, but, but it just makes me realize that just like life is life and, and everything is everything and everything is nothing. And it's just kind of like the more grounded that you can get in to, into the earth and into other living beings, the easier it is to just let things be. And the easier it is to recognize like the intimacy of just being and just being present with another living thing, a person, a plant, water, the wind, the sun, and just how friggin' remarkable it is to even just be alive. You know, that all the other nonsense that's going on in some ways is just nonsense. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like total other end of the spectrum, how growing food is like the center of, you know, social justice, environmental justice, racial justice, all these things. So as much as it can be like this really simple, humbling, you know, unifying like experience where it's just you and feeling close to life itself. It's also, it also reveals how important it is to, to, to own that and to share that and to make sure to do what you can to make sure that everybody is getting some of that. (laughs) Yeah. That's yeah, well, you know, it's plants are such a great metaphor because you can kind of you really get to see the whole life cycle. So when you get to see that, you can, you know, see it from a young thing and then you grow up and it has these creations and these fruits and stuff that you get to enjoy that it's sharing with you and that you get to, you know, extend it to the others. And, you know, it's just I kind of wrote something earlier today and it was like yeah fruits like they come from seeds and they just you know they have all these creations but you know it's it's just like this i can't i can't remember what it what it was that i wrote but it's just you know pertaining to that life cycle of you know and relating it back to me of where you know the the blooming of that whole plant was the life cycle itself you know and to know that it's it was unfolding the whole time you know, through its, its entire potential every time, every day, you know, was getting sunshine was, was another day of, of blooming and, you know, and you just, so it's cool that you get to, to see that. And that's a cool takeaway. Yeah. And that's beautiful just to recognize that metaphor, you know, that no matter what part of the cycle that you're at, that you're there and where you are now is its fullest expression, you know, regardless of the end, you know, like, for flowering plants, you know, the flower flowers and then it kind of dies and dries out. And that's when the seed is produced. Like that is what its whole life was about, you know, and it might not look the prettiest at that point in time, Mm -hmm. but that was like, that's it right there. Like that is where the the loop ends and the loop begins right there. Mm -hmm. And then everything in between is not separate from that. And it's the same with the personal journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
you know you're beautiful (laughs) 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 yeah beautiful well i got a couple just random questions just to throw a little throw a little fun play in here um uh if i were to start growing in my backyard just getting you know getting some stuff going what would what would i do how do i how can i just be sustainable how can i you know make my own compost or what what food should i start out at yeah so before you plant anything ask yourself what you're going to eat and only plant what you're going to eat as far as sourcing the resources I would see if there's a Denver seed library. I would just reach out to the community first. Maybe go to like the a food co-op or like your local like health food store or something and talk to people about where they're getting their stuff for gardening or if they have any recommendations. And then start to build relationships through that. Mm-hmm. If you're building a raised garden bed, try not to go to Home Depot to get the lumber. You know, see if you can garbage pick some bricks or see if there's like a construction company that can give you what they're done, what they're not going to use when they're done building a house or something, you know, like it's free to ask, you know, Mm -hmm. like if your neighbor has some crap laying in their front yard, say, Hey man, do you mind if I take this out of your lawn and use it for compost and topsoil? I got mine from just a local uh, landscaping company. I got a 50% blend of she and topsoil mixed with 50% compost. So I would recommend doing that. Oftentimes cities and townships will have uh, compost that they can, that they give to the community for free and they will make it themselves with the green waste that they collect from the residences in their area. But I would be mindful of, of those because those will often come with a lot of invasive weed seed mm-hmm. in them mm-hmm. um, because the people that are collecting the green waste and that are building the compost, they're they're city workers, you know, they're not horticulturists or agriculturalists. So they're not, it's not that they're not skilled. They just might not know what's, um, what's in the material. Right. For getting your seeds. Like I said, I would try to go to a seed library first and then I would try to buy seeds. If you weren't able to get any from your seed library, see if there's like a seed swap or something going on. So community source first. Mm -hmm. And if that well is dry, then I would recommend buying from a local bioregional seed company. So since you're in Denver, I would recommend buying from somebody that's growing seeds um, in your region. Mm -hmm. If if you go online and you do a Google search for seeds, the largest seed companies will probably come up like Johnny's, High Mowing, and Baker Creek will probably come up. And I'm not saying that those aren't good seeds. They are. There's a reason they're so big. But their seeds might be grown in New Mexico, Washington, Maine, you know, all over the place. And so supporting somebody that's growing seeds bioregionally is important because those seeds will be more adapted to the environment that you're offering to them. Be mindful that you're getting seeds that are open pollinated. So that means that they're just in a, in a wild environment. They're not, they're not chemically sprayed. They're not, they'll be true to type if you save the seed. And then also be mindful of hybrid seed varieties. Mm -hmm. So a hybrid seed variety is when you take squash A and breed it with squash B to get a squash C. And squash C will have the the drought tolerance of variety A and the the flavor of variety B. And that's great. Squash C is going to be delicious and it'll probably grow really well. But if you want to save the seed from it, when you grow the babies, the seeds of squash C, 
you're not going to get a squash that's true to type. You're going to get a squash that looks like squash A, squash B, squash C. It's going to look like a bunch of different things, Mm -hmm. which is fine if you're just a backyard gardener and you're just saving seeds to grow in your own garden again and you happen to like all those varieties, Mm -hmm. then great. But if you're wanting to offer seed back to a seed library or share them with your friends and say, hey, yeah, like this squash variety is really great. You know, you'll just want to be mindful of you'll just want to be mindful of that. And then if you're growing in your garden, I would encourage companion planting. So, so growing plants that have a symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. So think of like the traditional three sisters garden, the three sisters are the corn, the bean and the squash. And so you seed the corn and then you seed. So the corn grows, doesn't take up a whole lot of, it's not very wide, but it grows very tall Mm -hmm. and it takes up a lot of nitrogen from the soil. Then you grow beans around your corn. And so beans are nitrogen fixing plants. So they take nitrogen from the atmosphere and fix them down into the soil so that the soil microbiome, the soil bacteria, you know, has a relationship with the root system of the plants to put nitrogen and carbon into the soil so that other plants, such as the corn, can take it up. Mm. Uh, which is like really, really, really cool that people have like studied that and that we know that for a fact that happens like that is so friggin' badass, but, but the corn, bean and squash, all people did this before there were soil tests and before there were all of these crazy advancements. Mm So, you know, figure that. And then the squash, um, the squash kind of creeps along the ground. And so the squash will, um, keep weeds away from the growth Mm. of the corn and the beans. And so all of those things are complementary to one another. So that's like the tradition, traditional companion planting. Mm-hmm. And then you get corn, you get beans, and you get squash, all three very different vegetables. I would just encourage um, diversity in your garden. You don't want to just grow like six tomatoes because disease or tomatoes are prone to certain diseases. If you're going to grow something, grow something that's complementary to it. Make sure you have a lot of flowering plants in your garden because that'll bring a lot of bugs in. Um, And a lot of bugs is great because if you have a lot of bugs, that means there's, you know, like a hierarchy of bug system and and pests so that things won't ever really get out of balance because Mm -hmm. they self-regulate the ecosystem of your little garden. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, And then save the seeds, you know, save the seeds and give them to your neighbor and, you know, give them to the community seed library and, and really building relationships with people you know, reminding people that they don't need to go to the store for what they need. Like there is such an abundance of things in the world Mm -hmm. and such an abundance of resources that if we just shared what's kind of spilling over in our home with other people, uh, needs would be met. Everybody's needs would be met and we would be much happier and much, much healthier for it. I think too. I hear that. Well, if you were one plant intuitively, what plant do you think you would be and what plant would you want to be you know and this could be a vegetable a fruit a flower could be oh goodness in in the earth so i don't know what kind what plant i am i'm not sure i don't i don't i don't know that's a heavy question that's a heavy question nothing came up for me but i would say (laughs) that if i could be a plant i think i would be a nasturtium and those are my favorite plants because they are completely edible And so they grow like little round leaves that kind of look like, kind of look like webbed, like frog feet in some ways. And you can eat the leaf and it's really spicy, kind of like arugula. And the larger that the leaf gets, the spicier it is. I mean, it's really intense. 
but then it opens this beautiful, usually a yellow, orange, or a red flower. It's this really beautiful display. And when you eat the flower, it's sweet. And so it's really great for the garden because it's kind of a crawler. So it'll grow wherever wherever nothing is growing and, and keep your soil covered and keep the moisture levels good. And you can eat it and it brings good pests in. Like it's a, it's an aphid trap plant. So like if you're growing a lot of um, broccoli or cauliflower or cabbage, those plants are kind of prone to aphids, which is just like this little black bug that'll eat your plant. They're super mm-hmm. annoying. But aphids will be more attracted to the nasturtium plant than it would be to the brassicas. Mm. And so it's okay if the aphids eat your nasturtium because they'd be all over the garden, you know, in my garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they wouldn't be all over like the like the other larger crops. Right. So I, I, so I guess I would wish to be that because it's my favorite and I feel like it's multifunctional. Absolutely. That's beautiful. What well, about you? What, what plant do you think you hmm. are? Or if hmm. you could choose to be one. I don't know. I don't really know exactly. I feel like if I was a plant, I feel like I would be some some like strong root based plant, like uh, something with like a big root, like yucca, like a yucca plant. I love yucca plants because they're just like these big. They look like giant turds. They make me laugh when I eat them. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're these giant roots, and they're super sweet. And yeah, they're just they're just these big roots, I guess it's very grounded. That's where I like to try to go, like to bury myself in the earth and stuff. And if I could be a plant, I think I would want to be like an apple tree because they're just so beautiful and they got flowers too. And they got the the juicy apples and yeah, I think I would want to be an apple tree. I want that for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe in my next life i'll be an yeah. apple tree <laughs> well thank you fran for joining me on here it's been an honor super stoked if there's anything you want to share about some information where to find you where to learn more about you know urban farming and joining community with with food yeah so i'm like i'm like reconciling my relationship with social media because for a long time I felt like it was like this toxic thing, Mm -hmm. but I'm starting to realize that it can actually be used as a really wonderful creative force in the world of internet and smartphones. And so I've made an Instagram page for myself. It's Francis underscore farms. And you can find me there. You can see what I'm growing and see what, you know, I like to support what a lot of other people are doing. So I'll repost not just what's in my area, but kind of all over. So if you want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me there. And I'm always here to, to support anybody interested in their gardening or uh, food justice journey and, and, and learning about how that all intersects. I'd love to keep the conversation going with anybody. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Fran. Thank you, Ryan. This was a really sweet treat. It was fun. (laughs) Cool. Mm. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Summit to Soul Mountain. It was a pleasure to join my soul sister and have this conversation with Frances to talk about seed heritage, urban farming, her story over the past few years to hear all of the great insights that she has learned along the way as always much love <laughs>